Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Uh, hi, I'm Mats Villander, and you are listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, how about this? The man who just introduced this week's tennis podcast, Mr. Mats Verlander, is our special guest. The former world number one talks to us about following in the footsteps of Bjorn Borg, winning three Grand Slam titles in a year, and the famous car park press conference. We'll also review the Davis Cup final right here on the Tennis Podcast. Well, hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast. I'm David Law, and in theory, I should be with Catherine Whitaker right now, but she's a bit under the weather just at the moment. She's been downing throat lozenges as if they're going out of fashion. So she is with us. So let's just hear what she sounds like, whether this is even going to be possible. Hello, Catherine. Hello. It sounds like Catherine Whitaker's sort of dad, doesn't it? Oh, Oh dear. Yeah. Oh dear. I think we've better keep this short, haven't we? Um the bad news for you dear listener is that uh, I'll have to do most of the talking, which uh, which I'll quite enjoy. Uh, the good news is that we have a sensational interview with the former world number 1 Mats Verlander conducted when Catherine did have a voice. Uh, he talks about winning three Grand Slam titles in a year, what it was like to take on John McEnroe and Jimmy Connors in their primes, and what it was like to hold the famous press conference in the car park. And if you haven't heard about that one, well, you really will want to. And uh, and he talks about that. It was the start of the ATP Tour as we know it. And uh, Mats Valander, as the world number one at the time, was there right at the beginning. So you'll be able to hear all about that. Part one of the interview is this week part two we will save for next week when Catherine can get involved a little bit more although we will see if her, her voice will stand up to a little bit of interrogation uh, here in the tennis podcast today and don't forget that Mats Velander will be joining us in London in a couple of weeks from now for the Statoil Masters Tennis at the Royal Albert Hall he takes on John McEnroe Ivan Lendl Pat Cash Henri Leconte and if you haven't got your tickets yet do go and get them while you can because uh, not one you would want to miss all world number ones and former champions and great characters and uh, all under one roof at the Royal Albert Hall. Before we get to that, though, we have the small matter of the Davis Cup final to discuss. Czech Republic finally winning the Davis Cup after some three decades and more. What a story it was, and what a weekend it was. It was just an amazing tie. Sport at its most raw, and a bit of aggro thrown in with Nicolas Almagro. There's my poem for the day. Catherine, did you watch it? Of course I watched it. I had a prediction riding on it. We both did. I don't think I'm going to 
Yeah, voice or no voice, I'm definitely going to mention that. Yes, yes. Um, I, I could have done this without you, couldn't I? <laughs> um, no, yeah, it was, it was cracking, it was, wasn't it? It was really good. It was. Uh, it was brilliant. It was everything you want from a Davis Cup final. And I did think I was going to win for quite a lot of it, I have to say. I thought Spain were going to come through because David Ferrer was just... He was the player of the tie, really, wasn't he? I mean, I know it was it was uh, Stepanek who got the glory in the end, but... Yeah, my heart goes out to David Ferrer. He deserves... He always ends up like the bridesmaid, doesn't he? I always. know. Poor bloke. He deserved to, to be the hero, didn't he? And and he was the hero. You know, he won both his both his ties. He beat beat Thomas Burditch in, in Prague, but he he won't be remembered as a hero that you know his his efforts won't won't be remembered barely at all i suppose which which is a shame for him um but i still think that that one of these days it might just happen for him that that he wins a big one you know i mean i i've i've always thought up until now no way can this guy beat one of the top four at the biggest stage and, and win a slam but i'm starting to wonder now you know that he's knocking on the door he's always there he only needs one year, needs one a slice grand of luck, slam, when, when the others just, just mess it up, you know, or, or get injured or something I mean, like imagine that. I mean, it, imagine a scenario, you know, the French Open, something, you know, Rafa's got a bit of an injury or, um, he, you know, perhaps he's still out, you know, perhaps he, you know, whatever, maybe he's not around at all. And you, you could imagine without Rafa on top form, David Ferrer beating the rest of the the rest of the field at the French Open. The thing is, he, he's, getting be- he's getting better, Catherine. He's actually getting better. I mean, he's in his thirties now. I don't think he's ever played better than he has in the last few months. No, that and that's a fantastic fact in itself, isn't it? He'll, he'll fancy it in Australia as well. Hot conditions, you know, high bouncing ball. I mean, he's no, going to be dangerous, David. For a, no, he's going to love it. And um, and you know, with Rafa still coming back, I mean. I always think of David Ferrer somewhat unkindly as Nadal, Rafael Nadal light almost, mm. you know, he's almost like his mini version and, and perhaps that's just a bit unfair on the man. I mean, he's five in the world, he's, you know, he's a fantastic player in his own right and it's not really fair to compare him in those terms, but because Nadal is so great and because he's of that type but better, he's always the one that, that, that he inevitably gets compared against. But uh, no, I, th- I think David Ferrer has a lot to be proud of in these last few weeks. And, he uh, does. And it, it'd be nice for him, though, if he doesn't win a major. It would be nice for him to have a Davis Cup to his name, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? it you know, I'm yeah, sure that would mean a great deal to him. So from that perspective, it was a shame. But you um, sort of always... Well, I don't know about you, but I always want to see a home victory with Davis Cup because the joy of it oh, is the I partisan don't. crowd. No, I don't at no? all. I, I, quite, I, I mean, especially as I predicted Spain would win, I was cheering Nicolas Almagro oh, to the rafters. contrarian. Yeah. No, but but no, no, but I always think, I do think it's quite funny when, when you've got this massive crowd who are all going nuts for the home team and then somebody just comes in and ruins it all. Do you remember when uh, Paul-Henri Mathieu was two sets Ooh, to love up in France and, and he ended up losing to Michael, Michael Eugenie yeah. in five? Oh, It was cramping, there was everything, wasn't there? 
Yeah, I mean, that, I, I don't think Mathieu has ever, ever been the recovered, same again. No, I, I, I do feel for say. him. I mean, he's he started to, to, to come on strong actually recently. I mean, I st- he's still a richly talented player. Um, and I also think that uh, that Mikhail Eugenie, it did him the world of good, that, that victory. And, and I don't mean to be unkind. I mean, a, you know, a teenager losing like that, it's rough. And um, But it, those but, are formative uh, years, aren't they, in a tennis player's yeah. life? And, um, I mean, it's not something we discussed with Mats Vlander in the interview, but he obviously coached um, Paul-Henri Mathieu for a short time. And, and I've heard him talk before of... You know, they're just not there being something missing, or or you know, just something not quite connecting in his brain. You know, just not quite believing, perhaps. And uh, an experience like that certainly can't help. That I'm not saying it's the full mm. cause, but um, yeah, certainly can't help. What a moment though for Radek Stepanek. Here is a guy who I remember even in the years when I was working on the ATP circuit as a communication manager, and we're talking 50-odd years ago, or, or well, all right, 12 years ago. Um, and uh, Stepanek, I remember, was was just a, basically a doubles-only specialist at that stage. I mean, his, I remember looking at his singles ranking. It was somewhere down around four, four 500. Um, and I remember him winning the doubles title in Estoril and... Um, and really, you know, buzzing about that, and he'd got quite a personality. And I remember, I remember taking him into the press conference, and and then, you know, it was his, I think it was probably his first big doubles victory, and he was really just so happy. And mm. um, and and it's it's kind of funny seeing how he's become Mister Unpopularity in some quarters. A lot of players don't don't seem to like him. He seems to wind them up and all this kind of thing and people complain about him. But uh, that's part of his tactics. I've, though, I've always really it? liked him. I've always thought he's a decent guy to be honest. I, I think that he I think he's very aware of that and he knows that he gets under people's skin and I think he thinks, Well, why not use this to my benefit really? Why waste time trying to make make the other guy on the other side of the net like me? I'm gonna waste my energy on trying to win the match. Um, and you never get a more um, severe examination of all that than in the Davis Cup, do you? And Quite. there were so many lovely little sort of plot lines to the to the Spain Czech Republic story. I mean, you've got that Burdic against Almagro rematch. If you remember when they played in Australia, and Almagro drilled Burdic, didn't he, with a ball during yeah. the match, and and Burdic refused to shake his hands at, hand at the end, and they they did handshake at, at the end of their match the other day, and that was nice to see. Then you've got Stepanek, who seems to wind up everybody um, and, and at the end of the match he was hurdling the net in celebration and actually forgetting I, I, I assume and I hope he forgot to, to shake hands with Almaker Al and didn't do it on purpose I think, I think we've think got to give just, him the benefit of the doubt haven't I think we? it was euphoria wasn't it um, and, and you know what credit to Thomas Burdich for being the man to go and remind him and actually take him over there himself to, to shake hands with all the team I thought Absolutely. that was a lovely moment um, so yeah, wonderful, wonderful end to the tennis competitive year. We've obviously still got the Statoil Masters uh, to come, but uh, I mean, it's it's really something to have enjoyed that Davis Cup final, and, and I think maybe it will provide the launch pad for a couple of players there. And we have to note that um, Czech Republic, uh, Fed Cup, and Davis Cup champions now they're really ruling yeah, the world. That's, that's, right. that's pretty impressive. I haven't Fantastic. got to hand. I should have, like magic, a stat about when that 
last happened. I'm sure the yeah, states where is have done that, that. Stat, Catherine? I don't what know. do you think you're here for on the tennis podcast? You and your dodgy plead, voice. I plead illness. I plead illness. There you go. I would I usually know. be Honestly. so thoroughly prepared. Yes. Um, my guess well, would be I will look this up uh, in readiness for next week's podcast. My guess would be that the states have done it at some stage. Um, in all the right, not right. Too okay. Well, I, I want to see whether your guess, whether your gut instinct has any foundation to it and any uh, anything to rely upon. Uh, you will dig out that uh, statistic for next week when we have part two of the Mats Valander interview. But let's go on to part one because Mats Valander is a former world number one. A lot of people tend to forget that this man actually won as many Grand Slam titles as John McEnroe did. He won three in one year in 1988. It's something that Catherine talks about in their interview, along with many other things. But first of all, Catherine asked what it was like for Mats Valander to follow in the footsteps of Bjorn Borg. I think it was stressful early on um, when you're a junior and you're 14, 15, 16 and Bjorn, uh, Bjorn has started winning majors. Um, uh, he, st- he won his first in 1974, so I was 10. So by the time he was winning Wimbledon's third, third and fourth time, I was 18, 17, sort of 16, 17. And always oh, matched the new Borg kind of thing, but Bjorn was still playing. And then as soon as Bjorn retired, in, uh, he, he won his last professional tournament in 1981. I managed to win uh, the first French Open he wasn't involved in in 1982. So I guess I answered those questions very soon after. So the pressure was gone. You know, there was no more talk about me being the next Bjorn Borg because I had already won a major at 17 years old. And I was, it was more, wow, it's incredible that we had Bjorn Borg. And now we have another young guy who's winning majors for the little country of Sweden. It was very nice to be in, to, to be coming sort of after Bjorn because you realize not only when you're talking to him that you drag me away from that he's a great guy but he's so well respected uh, amongst the, uh, the tennis players, um, uh, amongst the Jimmy Connorses and John McEnroe's and so on, but also amongst tournament directors and amongst the crowd. And when you're when you have any kind of association with Bjorn Borg for being from Sweden or being young. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by Tennis Channel and Tennis Channel Plus is the place to watch the French Open. They've got every court live and you can watch on your phone or on your smart TV in HD. Sounds great. There's genuinely nothing I like more than watching multiple courts with matches everywhere. And can I just sit and watch court shows in Longland all day? You sure can, David. Wherever the stories are, the rivalries emerge and the generations clash, you can watch it all with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Be there when it happens by subscribing to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription. Or playing with a 200 backhand, you know they always 
give you the benefit of the doubt, it seems. You mentioned your, your first French Open victory there. Talk me through your memories of that. And, and I also uh, wonder, are you the, what were you like back then? Are you the same man now that you were when you were a 17-year-old when you won the French Open? No, I'm not the same man. Um, I was very antisocial, or I would say shy in those days. Um, and I was also very... Um, selfish in a, in, a, in a positive way I would say uh, where I didn't really worry about uh, the pressure from the media I didn't really worry about what anyone thought of my tennis I could care less what you think because I'm just playing to get better and to win matches and try and win tournaments that was my, my highest quality and I think winning the French Open in 1982 the only thing I can remember is that I was never at one point nervous and I guess that is um, uh, a quality at 17 years old that's very few people have I would think in front of a big crowd but I knew um, that I was going to go out and play the tennis I could play which was nowhere close to thinking I was going to win a Grand Slam nowhere close I always say that it wasn't me who won it was the other guys who choked and, and lost that, that tournament but I was very secure in my beliefs um, as a tennis player I'm very secure in my beliefs today not as a tennis player but as a voice of tennis and I know I'm not right I could be wrong but I have an opinion and I believe um, it's that it's my it's the right opinion that for me to have and it was the same when I played tennis in those days I was very confident in my own ability and uh, nothing really faced me I knew when I could win and I knew that I couldn't beat certain guys and you may already have answered this question but now you're you're a very convivial guy you, you, I didn't know you back then you might not have been but you had to play on the court against some really spiky characters <laughs> yeah did you have to change when you walked on the court in order to contend with that? No, I didn't actually. I was I, I really enjoyed playing against guys that were vocal. You know, the worst opponent for somebody who who, uh, who is quiet, like I was, um, on the outside, I was not quiet on the inside, um, very nervous and sort of uh, hyper on the inside. But, but I, because of Bjorn Borg, again, I learned how to not show that. The worst opponents were the ones that showed me no emotion at all. And sometimes when Ivan Lendl played well, he was very horrible to play against. Stefan Edberg was tough to play against when he played well because there wasn't that much emotion. John McEnroe and Jimmy Connors, who, yeah, they, was, they were extreme uh, competitors, but they were so much fun to play against because you could sense when you're irritating them, when they're aggravated because you're beating them, or they're aggravated because of the crowd or because of line calls, and that sort of gave, gives, gave me the positive belief that I'm doing something right because they are obviously seriously pissed off with the situation and that that gave you uh, gives me gave me more confidence I think than playing against other players that were not vocal so but I, you're right growing up in the 80s we are so fortunate to have to have the chance to play against Borg back in row Connors then Andre Agassi is an 18 year old Pete Sampras is an 18 year old I mean the 80s really was um, uh, something very special because you had five or six or even seven guys that won five or more majors and you had these young Agassi Sampras. So I played Stan Smith when he was still ranked top 20 in the world. I played Andre Agassi in the semis of the French when he was 18 years old. And the difference in age between those two guys, I hope Stan doesn't listen, but it must be 35, 40 years. Uh, I want to take you back to 1988, obviously your golden year on the tour, world number one, three Grand Slam titles. Did you feel close to invincible that year? Um, yes, I did. I did um, uh, not throughout the whole year. Um, I wasn't going into tournaments thinking I'm going to win for sure. Um, but there were moments of most of the matches and certainly moments in tournaments where I felt that there is no chance you guys can beat me now. I am the best player in the world. It's a be I am the best player I can be. 
so some some tournaments and some weeks you have this confidence that man you can't beat me in practice you can't beat me in matches you can't make me tired you can't you can't make me upset i am confident i'm going to play well and and that was a great feeling but at the same time it's it wasn't a year compared to uh, the years that Roger Federer, Novak Djokovic, and Rafael Nadal are putting together because they're winning 10, 11 tournaments in, in those perfect years. And I only managed to win three majors, yes, and a couple of other big tournaments, Miami and Cincinnati, but it wasn't the same domination. I, don't feel, I don't, didn't feel like I was dominating uh, day in and day out. Another thing that a, a lot of people think of when they think of you is uh, a fairly major moment in political tennis history, which is the press conference in the car park. Um, tell me about what led to that and, and how you look back on it now. Well, I mean, what led to, to uh, that was um, obviously the, the ATP. I was on the board of the ATP and, and we um, hired Hamilton Jordan, who uh, was a, um, a campaign and economic advisor to uh, Jimmy Carter, uh, American president in, in the day. And uh, we got him in to be able to somehow plan the breakaway from, from the Grand Prix Tour of the International Tennis Federation because we felt that uh, the ATP, we could maybe not do, we could do a better job, but we could get more, more sponsors and we can increase the price money. And, and we felt like the circuit was standing still. And, um, of course, we had a press conference in 1988 at the U.S. Open and we were, not, we were not allowed to do it inside the gates for obvious reasons. I can't imagine they even that the ITF is even talking to me anymore. Um, but um, we had it outside. And we did not have the support of all the other top players. I mean, the, the McEnroe's and the Lendl's and the Boris Becker's. I mean, they were looking from the si outside and they were waiting to see what the ATP Tour was going to be about. And, um, and I stepped in there and was very vocal uh, together with uh, Tim Mayotte and some of the American guys. But I was really the only top player that, that was um, willing to, to, to take it on. And uh, it was... Um, a great sense of uh, accomplishment, not to break away, but to see the ATP Tour sort of in the 94, 95, when it really started to work well, and to look at the ATP Tour where it is today, and the players that we have, that, have, that has been bred through with Roger and Rafa, and, I mean, there's nothing, in many ways, the most, probably the most important thing I've done in my whole life is to... to to promote and grow the game of tennis was being part of the ATP um, board in the 80s and help break away and start the ATP tour. Well, Mats Verlander, their former world number one, talking to us exclusively here on the Tennis Podcast. He is so interesting to listen to, Catherine. I, I don't think I could ever get bored of listening to Mats Verlander. I love hearing him on Eurosport. I know not everybody agrees with everything he says, but so the heck what? That's what it's all about. Exactly, and he never says anything for effect. You know, there's no. I I, I can honestly say, you no, know, not not a criticism of the other players, but. I think he's the only one that just has that has no ego at all. It's amazing. He's so understated, um, and he's always the one you know. When I have to go to these, well, not have to. I'm very privileged to to get to go to all sorts of sponsored dinners and things at um, at Champions Tour events, and you know they tend to mix up the seating allocation. I'm always relieved when I end up on Matt's table because I know I won't be I won't be bored, or you know I know conversation will be stimulating throughout the evening because he's just yeah. that kind of, he's so erudite and he's so um he's so engaging i guess um but he is normal isn't he i mean the, what you just said there he he will talk to anybody he, he'll have a conversation yeah. with anybody in the room there are no sort of 
airs and graces. You don't have to sort of worry about whether you've done anything in the game for him to take you seriously. He's just interested in people and, and will talk to he's anybody. He's interested and it's, in people a, and he's interested in tennis. He loves playing tennis. He's out on the court, you know, every day doing his Volander on wheels thing, which is a, a whole story in itself. He travels across the States yeah. in a in a camper van uh, doing clinics um, with... Uh, Incredible, with really. people young and old and and he he just loves it doesn't he? he he just he can't get enough of playing tennis you know he's always at champion store events he's putting his hand up to play extra pro-ams and everything because he just loves being out on the court it's uh it's yeah, it's bloke. really infectious that sort of attitude to it all um yeah he is, and we've got him back bloke. with us uh next week in which you asked him the question we've always wanted to ask Mats Valander did he really say that about the Olympics being just another stamp in the passport. It was That's a different the time, wasn't it? It was the 80s. Well, we don't know whether he said it yet because we haven't heard the interview, Catherine. Ooh. So we'll find out yeah. next week in part two. Don't spoil it. I mean, if he did say it, <laughs> if he did say it, it was the 80s. If he said it, exactly. Yes. Uh, I'm on the edge of my seat waiting to find out. So that's Matt Verlander, who will be back with us uh, for part two of that interview next week. As we mentioned earlier, he'll be with us at the Statoil Masters Tennis at the Royal Albert Hall in London as well. And we've just had today some fantastic news, some really interesting news, in that a special guest, along with the... Their Royal Highnesses, the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge, will also be... Novak Djokovic, the world number one, is going to be coming to the Royal Albert Hall just for one night only on Saturday the 8th of December. He'll be attending the Winter Whites Gala, which is a special night for charity in aid of Centrepoint, which is the patron charity of His Royal Highness, the Duke of Cambridge, Prince William. And Novak is to receive an award, the Centrepoint Great Britain Youth Inspiration Award from Centrepoint's patron the Duke of Cambridge. The award honours those whose contribution to youth inspires young people across the world and, re- and awards their commitment to giving back and eradicating such humankind crises as poverty, health, education, hunger and homelessness. Centrepoint is dedicated to ending youth homelessness. And that's a fantastic award that he's receiving and, and great recognition for all the, the work that his charity has done, his foundation that uh, I know he got a, the Arthur Ashe Humanitarian Award from the ATP recently as well, Catherine. Great to, to, for him to get that. And how nice will it be for him to be with us at the Royal Albert Hall? Yeah, it's going to be goosebumps time, isn't it? And I think that really will um, mean something to him. You know, I mean, you were commenting um, last week, was it, on, on how touched... Um, he seemed to be receiving that Arthur Ashe Humanitarian Award. You know, it's it, he really does dedicate quite a lot to his um, to his foundation, doesn't he? Um, and it's going to make for a very special evening indeed, the the world number one. Yeah, I mean, he'll there. be under the same roof as Bjorn Borg and Boris Becker, Chris Evert. They're all going to come in specially just for that night with the... Uh, the Royal Couple as well. Um, we, we, we reckon there might be a one or two movie stars there. We know John McEnroe and Ivan Lendl will be in town. And Goran Ivanisevic will play against Tim Henman as well. So what a night it's going to be at the Royal Albert Hall on the 8th of December. There are still some tickets available. In fact, I think they've just been released. So if you get on to the uh, uh, Statoil Masters Tennis website and the winterwhitesgala.com 
website. You can go and buy some tickets and uh, share a wonderful evening uh, with some of the greats of tennis, including Novak Djokovic and their Royal Highnesses, the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge. So, sounds fantastic, something we'll look forward to. And we'll look forward to speaking to you again on the Tennis Podcast next week when we speak to Mats Volander in part two of our exclusive interview. See you then. So the countdown to the Statoil Masters Tennis at the Royal Albert Hall continues next week with part two of our interview with Mats Verlander. After that, we'll have a John McEnroe special in which we talk exclusively to the great man and hear the thoughts of one or two people who know him more than most. That's to come right here on the Tennis Podcast. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 